0: are public schools essential in a debate we've been having rage for months now on who and what is essential from churches to grocery stores now with august fast approaching we are having the nationwide debate of whether or not public schools are essential and if they should open this upcoming school year for 2020 and 2021 so here we are the hotly debated public school question and we're also going to talk about churches that are rising up against a government is this the christian thing to do all and more on this episode of deconstructing the culture i am your host elisa steele hey conservative babes thank you so much for joining me on this episode if you missed the last couple of weeks episodes you need to go back and listen to them i rarely say this but they are just true Um, Two very different episodes, but very, very important. One is all about pro-life questions, most commonly asked questions that all pro-lifers need to have the facts around from. Should we make exceptions in the cases of rape and incest? to can a Christian be pro-life or or can a Christian be pro-abortion um, and what does that look like? And then also we talk about uh, Kanye West and his very emotional comments on abortion and almost being aborted himself as well as almost aborting his own daughter. Then with Human Trafficking Awareness Day, July 30th, coming up here in just a couple of days, it's really important that we all get on the same page to help fight human trafficking, a massive global crisis happening that we all need to address, especially as Americans. Americans are the number one consumers of child pornography. I talk about that and what you can do, actual action steps that you and I can take today to help end human trafficking. So please go back and listen to child sex trafficking episode if you have not listened to that yet. All right. Let's talk about public school and whether or not it's essential. Now, I'm going to be totally upfront from the beginning. I don't think public schools are essential. But what I think is interesting is while I've been arguing that for years, now we have the very same people who once upon a time told us that public school was so essential. It was the only way that your child was going to get the proper education and also the proper social life and the proper education experience. Those same fierce advocates for public school, which in many, and I would say, and on a broad level is failing our students, public school is now no longer being defended defended and promoted as the most essential thing, but actually by the very same people who were calling it the most essential thing for our children are now calling it non-essential. Last week in the New York Times, it, they published an article written by a public school teacher, Rebecca Martinson, and she titled it, I won't return to the classroom and you shouldn't ask me to. She says, please don't make me risk getting COVID-19 to teach your child. So I'm going to read you a couple um couple pieces from that just to kind of give you the main gist of where this lady is coming from and um, I've seen a ton of other posts a lot like this, so I know that this woman is not alone, which I think is very interesting and I'm going to tell you a little bit of my take on that. So also, trigger warning, for those of you who are going to come at me and email me and message me about how, Lisa, you're so wrong. I'm a public school educator and our public school is so great and we're in a smaller community and yada yada. Okay. Maybe there's a handful of you who see public school as really valuable and you've had a good experience with it, and maybe you're a teacher or maybe you're a parent or whatever, but I'm just going to tell you right now, if you're going to come at me with your stories about how your public school has been the best thing ever for your children, you're the exception, not the rule. On a broad scale, we can identify, especially as conservatives, that public schools are failing our children, not only from Common Core and No Child Left Behind to now the introduction of transgender bathrooms and our children being exposed to sexual abuse, I would argue, and sexual content that they should never be exposed to. So, you know, you know, just just take a step back before you get all offended. Hear me out. Okay, so Rebecca... My public school teacher writes every day when I walk into when I walk into work as a public school teacher, I'm prepared to take a bullet to save a child In the age of school shootings. That's what my job requires. But asking me to return to the classroom amid a pandemic and expose myself and my family to COVID-19 is like asking me to take that bullet home to my own family. I won't do it and you shouldn't want me to. My school district and school haven't ruled out asking us to return to in-person teaching in the fall. As careful and proactive as the administration has been when it comes to exploring plans to return to the classroom, nothing I have heard reassures me that I can safely teach in person. I'm going to come back to that. Actually, no, I just want to address that right now. She says that she claims that she's willing to take a bullet for a child, but she won't risk going to school and teaching your kid if sickness exists in the world and a virus that this risks children very, very, very little risk to children and only a very moderate risk to middle-aged adults under the age of 60, it's like a 99.6% survival rate. So we're talking about a very low rate of actual death risk to adults, middle-aged adults and a very 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 small risk to children she continues by saying that you know again she's she's gonna you know she'll take a bullet for your kid but the truth is is no one teaches or tells a public school teacher you have to dive in front of a child to save them now some teachers have done this absolutely and they are brave and they are heroes and we respect them and praise them for that heroic action but there's no teaching there's no preparation and course of saying if a shooter comes in to your school, which is very low likelihood, but if a a shooter comes into your school, you have to take a bullet. No, that's not what's required of teachers, okay? Um, And then she also putting it out there as if she's, it's like a daily threat she has to think about every single day. That's a very real possibility will happen that day is melodramatic and false for her to push that. Then again, I think it's, it's interesting. She says on one hand that she'll, give her life for your child but she's not willing to teach if there's sickness in the world and she she tries to pass it off as she's protecting here in in just a minute she's protecting the kids she doesn't want to get the kids sick either but then again this lady is she not looking at the numbers of covid 19 because very few children are getting this and not and even fewer are dying and in fact as of As of, I think, uh, let's see, the CDC says as of July 15th, there were 31 kids between the ages of 0 and 14 who have died of COVID-19, and during that same period, um, the flu killed three times as many kids in that same age range and for that same time period. So we're talking about children who are much more at risk of getting and dying of the flu than they are of covid yet she's not willing to go to work because she claims it's about her risking the children i don't think so lady i don't think so she continues um she says if i'm asked to return to the classroom as the pandemic rages i will have to walk away as deeply as i love teaching i will not risk spreading the virus in a way that could hurt a child or a family member of a child like again, uh, like I said, she's gonna, she's gonna say, it's about saving the children. It's about protecting the children. Okay, you're protecting them from what? Because you've been exposing them to the flu every single year, potentially, and they're dying of higher rates of the flu, but you weren't advocating to not go to school during that time. Um, then she says, well, children make up a small proportion of the US coronavirus cases, and they're much, much less likely to become seriously ill than adults from the virus. Um, she says that it's been linked to multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children, plus many of my students struggle with poverty or from multi-generation households. I will not risk passing a virus to them or they might pass where they might pass it to their loved ones. I just won't do it. It isn't fair to ask teachers to buy school supplies. We aren't the government, but we do it anyway. It isn't fair to ask us to stop a bullet. We aren't soldiers, but we go to work every day knowing that if there's a school sh- shooting, we'll die protecting our students but this is where I draw the line. It isn't fair to ask me to be a part of a, get this, a massive unnecessary science experiment. I'm not a human research subject, I will not do it. So first of all, Germany just did a study that I believe I shared on Facebook if you wanna go check it out. Germany just did a study and they're not finding any evidence that children are passing this on to parents and grandparents. And overall, we're not seeing mass waves of children giving this to adults and so for her, again, to use that is is really kind of pushing it hardcore. Um, the truth is, she says that nothing she's seen so far is going to reassure her that she'll be safe going to school and to teach children. But she doesn't say what would reassure her. She never says, if they did X, Y, and Z, this would reassure me. Or when X, Y, and Z happens, this would reassure me. She doesn't say, you know... She doesn't say when the virus is completely gone or when there's a vaccination for it. But the truth is, is there's no guarantee we'll get a vaccination for this. And there's no guarantee. Actually, I can almost guarantee you the opposite, that the virus will never go away entirely. It will always be a risk that we deal with. And you know what? Let's say that we do get a a vaccination here in the near future. There's no guarantee that the vaccination will ever be very effective. We have a flu vaccination, and we still get people who get sick with it in mass every year, and they still might die. Again, children, three times as many children died in that coronavirus period, time period that I mentioned earlier, and then, then of COVID, they died of the flu. Um, you know, so here's the thing: is they know these teachers who are arguing that the schools should not open basically indefinitely, they're not giving us the reasons, this lady in particular, not giving us a reason or a way or a future path that she says, oh, I would be comfortable if this would happen because she knows she would sound crazy and very selfish if she outright said what would make her feel comfortable or would give her clear signals that it is safe for people to return to school because it would sound like I said extremely crazy and selfish she's basically saying that children should suffer and should forfeit their education for the next few years until this woman feels safe enough and she and I think her language at the end where she says a massive unnecessary science experiment okay so she's saying that taking a calculated risk for the education of millions of children is unnecessary it's unnecessary. Has she looked at herself in the mirror? She's saying she, she's probably one of those biggest advocates for saying that education is necessary, but it's somehow unnecessary for her to return to work. And also she's calling herself unessential, which is what I'm reading in between the lines. As of right now, no one no one is arguing that grocery store workers shouldn't go to to work. No one is arguing that that grocery stores should close down because it's too much of a risk and it's an, 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 a, a, an unnecessary science experiment because we all know we need grocery stores in our, in, in our society to thrive and move forward. Well, guess what? We all also should know that children need an education to move forward and thrive with their development i'm not arguing necessarily on the behalf of public school because i honestly quite frankly agree with this lady i don't think a public school our, our public schools are essential i think that i think that there are on a large scale a lot of evidence showing that it's failing our children and that there are much much better alternatives out there now she could make Like many out there right now, she could make the argument that, you know, even one death, even one death of, you know, a child who catches this and dies, maybe because they have underlying issues, they could make the argument even one death is too many. But she cannot make that argument and neither can anyone else make that argument unless they're willing to also shut down the schools every single year during flu season. And I highly, highly doubt that they have been. And yes, some could say that there's some small isolated incidents in isolated areas where a school or um, specific area is hard hit by the flu and they temporarily, for a limited time, do shut down schools. But that's very, very few and far between. And it's for a limited amount of time. What she's talking about and what many public public educators and politicians are talking about right now when they're talking about keeping the schools closed is in unprecedented, extended, open-ended shutdown of the schools for who knows how long. Our children have basically already lost months of education in the end of, you know, in the spring of 2019, or excuse me, 2020. So here we are, and you want to continue that for anyone's guess at how long because you're not giving us any realistic boundaries as to when we will open the schools? I don't, I don't think so. And you know what? There are, yes, for those who have been making the argument that, you know, it's the teachers we need to worry about. The teachers are the ones who are going to get sick and die, you know, if, even if you take aside children for a minute. Here's the thing. If you're 60 to 65 and up, maybe you should look for a different line of work. The same the same thing I would say to as someone who's in their 60s or above or has serious, serious underlying it issues who works at a grocery store. I wouldn't say we need to shut down all the grocery stores for those few people who are 60 and above or who have issues. We should shut down all the grocery stores because those people are at risk. No, we would say, you know what, if this is too risky for you, maybe you need to either retire or find a different line of work. We would say that because we wouldn't advocate for shutting down all the grocery stores because a few people are going to be extremely at risk. No, you let those extreme people at risk go find an alternative way of supporting themselves. And you let the rest who are only moderately at risk, which is the large percentage of those adults who are going to be working in the public school system or in the school system period, you're gonna have a large percentage, the majority percentage of those who are working in the education system who are not going to be over the age of 65 or have serious health conditions. And at that point, then you let those adults who are moderately at risk, go to work and teach children because children need education. So the truth is, is really what it comes down to is you cannot keep people, children or adults 100% safe all the time. You just can't live life in a bubble. We take calculated risks every single day as human beings. The truth is, is we drive vehicles. We know that getting into a car whether we consciously acknowledge it every time or not. When we get into a car, we take a calculated risk. We could die in an automobile related accident that day. I believe it's 30 to 35 or 36 per- or, or excuse me, between 30 and 36,000 people a year die of automobile related incidents every year. But that doesn't stop us. The fear that we could die in an automobile accident doesn't stop us from getting in our cars and driving to work that day. We take calculated risks. It's just, I think it's the same with school. We take a calculated risk, and when the risks are showing over and over, a high, high, high likelihood of survival for both middle-aged adults and children especially, that's just one of the calculated risks that we live with now. It's just part of our new reality. The truth is, is we do need education for children. I would argue that it's not necessarily public school education, though. I would just say education... Um, is a necessity for children. We should be opening up schools, maybe not necessarily public schools, honestly. At this point, I'm kind of to the point where I feel like maybe one of the side benefits and hidden blessings of COVID, stay with me right now, parents, especially those of you who are looking at me like, Elisa, you're not the one who's been home full time with you know, my three kids for the whole COVID season or whatever. I get that it's probably really, really hard on a lot of families, and I've seen that firsthand with close friends and family who have had to stay home with their children during the season. But you know the thing is, I think kids are better off not being in public school. Um, I think that we should take this time to, for the first time, I think a lot of parents are looking around them and realizing oh my school might not open this august my children might not go to public school this august and for the first time a lot of parents are looking at how to make education work for the best in the best way for their children that they've never ever explored these options before and they're looking at them for the very first time and the truth is is i as an avid avid advocate for homeschooling And alternative methods of schooling. I grew up, you know, for those who are unaware, I grew up going and having a myriad of school experiences from private school to online school to co-ops to homeschool tutors. I don't know if I said tutors. various seasons of my life. And I am a huge advocate of other school options. And I think for the first time people are exploring options that they've never explored before and having to think about their child's education instead of just dropping them off, picking them up at the end of the day and hoping that the public school system taught them what they need to be a functioning adult and and member, contributing member of society. The truth is, is, um, i have a friend who she's been homeschooling for years and years now and you know she has she's has teenagers now and she got together some members of her community and started talking about homeschool options and they are and she said to these ladies and to these i shouldn't say ladies but to these parents like okay let's go ahead and and start a co-op let's go ahead and teach and you know we all need to come together and, and decide what we're going to teach our kids how we're going to contribute and it was crickets and it's because people who have never thought of alternative options for school before, it's scary to approach the education of your child and realize that it's 100% in your hands and no longer something that you can just push off to your public school system and pray that they do it right. Because the thing is, is I feel like a ton of parents today, they love to, to complain. I was, gonna, I was gonna use a different expression. A lot of parents love to complain about our education system today. And they love to talk about, you know, common core and how it's failing our kids and bullying and lack of good teachers and how sex ed is being taught and corrupting our kids and how there's trans bathrooms we have to deal with and and all these issues and they'll complain about our public education but they're not willing to actually step up and do something about it and at the end of the day they really do just want to hand off their kid and their education responsibilities and the planning that goes with that and then pick up their kid at the end of the day and and pray that their kid got everything But the truth is is that's not really what's best for our our kids in general. As a country, our kids aren't designed to, from learning styles and um, learning capabilities and even just how they learn, whether that's more hands-on or auditory or whatever that is or, or visual. Children have different learning styles, and here we are, the public school system is meant for just squares, and you each have to fit directly into that square, but if your kid's a triangle or a circle, And you don't fit perfectly into their their learning structure, then your kid is very often going to be labeled, I would say, inappropriately, and then left behind when all they needed was actually a parent designing their education, not a public school system, which isn't there to tailor an education for your child specifically. So, here's the thing: I think at the end of the day, one of the biggest silver linings at all of this COVID pandemic is families are being forced to be together. Um, Parents are, for many, for the very first time, having to think about the quality of their child's education. They're having this opportunity forced on them to step in and fill the gap and give their child a highly tailored, individualized education or something better than the public school. Um, The thing is, too, is the people who most loudly would object to homeschooling and would push for public education being the most important thing are now saying, oh, we're not going to go. It's you can't put my life at risk. Um, And so the truth is, is now I think the public education is revealing itself for what it is, which is non essential. And parents can do better. That's that's what I'm saying. Parents and children they can do better than the public school system. Um, I also think It's interesting because for the first time, many parents are seeing what a ripoff it is to still have to be paying property taxes and school taxes and have all this money go towards the school system, but their child is getting a less than subpar education from online. I have talked to parent after parent after parent, both in person in my life and also on Instagram about how pathetic your your child's online education has been for the end of the 2020 spring school year. And it's awful and you're just like, man, I'm still paying the same, the same as going into the education system and my child is not getting a quality education. Well- Welcome to the reality of homeschoolers and private schoolers for years now. My parents, speaking just of my own family, have paid for education two times over for all of their children, both through property taxes and then again from having to pay for their children to go to private school and have tutors and do homeschooling and do co-ops and participate in that and providing all the educational material for their children. Um, So yeah, for the first time, uh, the rest of America who hasn't been accustomed to homeschooling is getting a taste of what it's like to feel ripped off by the fact that we pay into an education system that we don't reap proper rewards or any rewards from, depending on what you're doing. You're paying for an education two times over for each child, sometimes more. So I think the real solution, and this is a topic for another day, the real solution is obviously to me school choice and having the money follow the child. So that can look a lot of different directions, but basically having money, education money attached to each child, that that child doesn't go to school based on their zip code, but that money follows them towards a co-op, towards homeschooling, towards tutors, towards a private school, whatever it is, but as it is That's a whole nother subject when we talk about the corruption of the schooling system and teachers unions and so much more. We don't need to throw more money at our public school system. We just need to change the system entirely. And I think one of the biggest and most real solutions is school choice and having Um, the money, uh, the voucher system, essentially having the money follow the child rather than paying into institutions and zip codes with our property taxes and reaping nothing or very little, depending on where we live and what our school options and choices are. All right, before we go ahead and continue on to talk about the rebellion of churches in America, John MacArthur, specifically his churches, decided to go against orders and open their church and also some churches in California. Before we talk about that, we're going to ask you to take a pause. I say we're, I don't know why I'm saying we're, like there's multiple of me. I'm gonna ask you to take a minute to pause, subscribe, leave a review. If you agree with what I'm saying about the public school system, or maybe you have some feedback, go ahead and comment that. Um, I'd be very interested in hearing what you have to say, whether you are vehemently against what I'm saying and you think that public schools are vital to America. Um, Let's hear your argument. I'd be happy to hear it. And if you agree with me that maybe the pandemic silver lining is that parents and families are spending more time together with their children, and that maybe parents are for the first time looking at giving their child a much more quality education than the public school system that they fell into, hey, let me know what you think in the comments and whether or not you think schools should open this fall of 2020. All right, after you've subscribed and left a review, hint, hint, thank you for doing that um just remember also on youtube to hit the notification button so hit subscribe that's the red button and then the button that has a bell on it hit that there you go all right so this is from the western journal this is john MacArthur issues stark reminder to the church christ not caesar is head of the church i love this and i do have to say um this is kind of good in the world but also kind of just a topic for today because i think this is absolutely wonderful Amid the raging debate on the topic of church operation in the age of COVID-19, a prominent and widely respected voice has just weighed in with what should be the final word. I also have to say I'm a big admirer of John MacArthur. In a Friday blog post, renowned California pastor John MacArthur declared with certainty that the house of worship should remain open, reminding local officials and Christian congregants alike that the freedom to worship is a command of God, not a privilege granted by the state. Um, I think a lot of, I think all of our, our government officials should read that statement right there, but he says, Christ is Lord of all. He also, um, in case you're unaware, MacArthur is the pastor of Grace Community Church in San Fernando Valley. As his people, we are subject to his will and commands as revealed in Scripture. Therefore, we cannot and will not acquiesce to a government-imposed mortuarium on our weekly congregational worship or other regular corporate gatherings. Compliance would be disobedience in the Lord's clear commands, the pastor added. This letter came less than two weeks after Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom did an about face on the social and economic reopenings of California, issuing an executive order that once again restricted businesses and religious institutions following a major coronavirus case surge within the state as the Los Angeles Times reported, Newsom's controversial edict issued July 13th ordered the shutdown of all indoor dining locations, bars, zoos, museums, in addition to largely closing down churches and gyms again. It's been just over two months since the state began incredibly modest reopening efforts in May 8th, according to the Times. Previous efforts to lock down the state were met with substantial challenges by early May um as numerous county cities and citizens protested reopening early. Sizable church networks also pledged to ignore Newsom's order that and they remained closed. Now that's all past. Things are changing. It's now almost August, and Patience is wearing very, very thin and basically is dried up, especially for MacArthur. According to MacArthur, the closure and reclosure orders were a radical step beyond the government's jurisdiction in regard to houses of worship. He says Quote, God has established three institutions within human society, the family, the state, and the church. He wrote, each institution has a sphere of authority with jurisdictional limits that must be respected. When any one of the three institutions exceeds the bounds of its jurisdiction, it is the duty of the other institutions to curtail that overreach. I absolutely agree with him. He is spot on fire. He continues, therefore, when any government official issues orders, Regulating worship, such as bans on singing, caps on attendance, or prohibitions against gathering and services, he steps out the legitimate bounds of God-ordained authority as a civil office and aggregates himself authority that God expressly grants only to the Lord Jesus Christ, MacArthur added. With a great deal of foresight, however, MacArthur also preemptively responds to a group of detractors who have been incredibly vocal within the church in recent months. So there are those, and you've probably seen this too. I've seen this in my inbox. There are those who would argue that Christians must submit themselves to any and all earthly authority, no matter the circumstances. In Mark 12:17, after being asked whether a believer in God can in good conscience pay taxes to an unbelieving state, Jesus Christ says, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God, the things that are God's. Therefore, some argue we must close our houses of worship and biblical submission to our leaders during COVID-19 pandemic, despite our disagreements with that policy. These folks, however, have missed something. When we violate God's command to worship him, committally out of respect to earthly authority, oh, communally out of respect to earthly authority, we are rendering to Caesar what belongs to God, us. The church is Christ's precious bride, MacArthur wrote. She belongs to him alone. She exists by his will and serves under his authority. He will tolerate no assault on her purity and no infringement on his leadership over her. The bi- biblical order is clear. Christ is Lord over Caesar, not vice versa. Christ, I- oh, Christ, not Caesar, is head of the church. Controversially, the church does not in any sense rule the state, MacArthur wrote. As government policy moves further away from biblical principles and as legal and political pressure against the church intensify, we must recognize that the Lord may be using these pressures as a means of purging to reveal the true church. Succumbing to governmental overreach may cause churches to remain closed indefinitely. How can the true church of Jesus Christ distinguish herself in such a hostile climate? The pastor said, or the pastor asked, the only oh there is only one way, bold allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the is the one true head of his church, and we intend to honor that vital truth in all of our gatherings. For that predominant reason, we cannot accept and will not bow to the intrusive restrictions government officials now want to on, impose on our congregation. So MacArthur's Church is actually not alone. It appears that a series of California mega churches have already begun gathering. Um, and gearing up to operate in protest of Newsom's latest order, and as Founding Father John Adams once said, "...our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to govern, to gover- uh, excuse me, wholly inadequate to the government of any other." I would say that the government would be very well to remember this, as would the American people. Here's the thing. I bring this up because i have been struggling for a long time like many of y'all with feelings of what should our churches do in this time now thankfully i live in the state of california where our governor is just conservative enough that when the quarantine stay-at-home orders were issued that he made a very specific um loophole saying and very specifically saying that going to church was an essential business, so there was all this list of like essential businesses, and you could be out driving for this, that, and the other, but also among that list was going to church, which I appreciated. Not all states were that fortunate to have a government and a governor to acknowledge that no matter what, churches are essential. Now, here's the problem, though is even though church was stated as essential, there are still caps on gathering and how many people can gather and how does that work when you're putting a cap on a church that maybe can't gather at all with the kind of caps that are put on that. And here's the thing is I, like everyone else, was worried. We didn't know what to think at the beginning of this COVID thing and this COVID mess, but the further it continues, the more evidence and data and science that we have that this is moderate to low risk for the majority of the individuals in America, from children to middle-aged individuals. I think we should take precautions and protect those who are most at risk and keep them home and keep their life. Maybe in, in a world of change where those who are at high risk or over a certain age, they have to edit their life dramatically until we find something that is more effective for keeping elderly people and at-risk people alive with this, but we cannot allow this to mass shut down our church is the end story. I don't think it should be shutting down our government and our people and its freedom at all, but walking around and living a life in fear and living in a life and in a world where you are afraid so much so that our society is now a mass where I'm living, especially um, wearing masks. We're all wearing masks, but none of us that are, most of us are not at high risk and our children are at the lowest risk of all. And yet we're all walking around in extreme undue fear with a virus that has an over 99% survival rate. It's too much. And if we're allowing it to crush our church and crush the body of Christ and and not allowing us to come together to worship God, then that's when we know something is deeply, deeply wrong and that we are living by fear, which the Bible tells us over and over and over again, not to live by fear, but to live by faith. We're not as Christians, um, many of us, I think, and I too have been guilty of this, but maybe we've forgotten that we're commanded to not live in fear, to live by faith and we are allowing ourselves to be captured in a whirlwind of of fear and living our life around that. And part of that has been giving up church and giving up being part of the body of Christ and meeting together in the body of Christ. And I think that's wrong and it's not good for us and it's not good for our country in the long run. And I think I would also say it's bad for our children too, because now we're talking about not opening schools. For an indefinite amount of time and doing a subpar online education. And I'm not also saying that all online education is wrong. I personally have firsthand experienced a superior online education for a season of my high school education called Williamsburg Academy, and they were phenomenal, and I highly recommend them, but <laughs> not every online school is Williamsburg Academy. In fact, most of them are not. Most of them are going to be terrible. I've had story after story of students who get all of their entire week of homework done in the first hour of their Monday morning, and then they have nothing for the rest of, no, mm <laughs> that's not a quality education. Parents and children can do better. But I um, I digress. I want to leave us on a happy note and um, a positive note that I actually found. And I shared this on in my Instagram story. So some of you might have already seen this, but it was a writing that I recently found by C.S. Lewis that really, really hit home. C.S. Lewis actually originally wrote this short, short piece. Um, I bet it's roughly around 300 words. And he wrote it On Living in an Atomic Age. He wrote it in 1948. And this is a time when millions of Americans were terrified, rightly so probably, were terrified of being blown to bits by an atom bomb. And I just, I read this piece. And if you replace in your mind every time he says atom bomb um, or atomic bomb, if you replace it with coronavirus, then it perfectly applies to today's world when so many are racked by fear and, and unsure what tomorrow will bring and if they will be alive tomorrow or if they should stay home and hide in fear. And the answer is no, we shouldn't stay home and hide in fear. We shouldn't hide in fear and not go to church, and we shouldn't hide in fear and not send our children to school. Although I would say not public school, pick a different school. But um, he writes, on living in an atomic age, 1948, is when this is written and i am going to read his words but i want you to replace atomic age with coronavirus age okay he says how are you to live in an atomic age why just as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited london almost every year or as you would have lived in a viking age when raiders from scandinavia might land and cut your throats at night or indeed as you are already living in the age of cancer, in an age of syphilis, in an age of paralysis, in an age of air raids, in an age of railway accidents, and an age of motor accidents. In other words, don't uh, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented, and a quite a high percentage of us were going to die in an unpleasant way. We had, indeed, one great advantage over our ancestors' esthetics. But we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made, and the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. (sighs) If we are going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb... When it comes, find us doing sensible and human things, praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting with our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, but they need not dominate our minds. Guys, I hope that brought you hope. I hope that brought you a sense of where we're at today, which is not unusual. It's a new virus. But guess what? Even if this was a terrible virus that killed 5%, we still have to remember Christ told us to walk in faith, to not live in fear. And not only that, but we cannot, as, as he puts here, you know, let us let this bomb if it does find us dead tomorrow you know it, let us not find it um, find us huddled together frightened like sheep and thinking about he says bomb but thinking about coronavirus in our homes and scared and quarantined let it find us living out the, and being hands and feet of Christ being part of the body of Christ fellowshipping with our fellow believers singing praises to God in church taking care of our children and laughing and educating them and gathering with other like-minded individuals. And you know what? I just, again, I want to say, even if you're resisting my message here, if maybe the one thing that we found in during this age of coronavirus and quarantine and schools being shut down is maybe we can give our kids something way better. Maybe all the things that we complained about all the time before, like sexual education and transgender bathrooms and Common Core crap math education and history that's not true to teaching the glory, the glorious founding of America and her, her religious Judeo-Christian background and roots. What if you and I can work together and create a system so much better for our children? What if, what if we look back 10 years from now and homeschooling and private schools and co-ops are massive booming area and our children, we all of a sudden, instead of having the leftist liberal agenda running our country because we allowed it to take over our public education, what if we took that power from the public education and you and I together built something else, something much better for our children and for the next generation? And what if you and I together built something where our children were proud to be Americans because they learned true American history? And yeah, they learned where we messed up. They learned about slavery and they learned about injustice and they learned about Jim Crow laws and they learned about everything that uh, the mistreatment of the Native Americans, they learned about all the bad things too. But guess what? They learned about them in such a way as to never repeat those mistakes again. And then they learned about the good and learned how that is encouraged and embraced and promoted a spirit of freedom and ingenuity like nothing else has ever happened in all of human history. It's called The 5,000-Year Leap if you haven't read that book by Cleon Scouse. And I get it, get it tomorrow. Get it today on Amazon, order The 5,000-Year Leap and read it together with your family, mom and dad and children and grandparents. Come together and learn about how America is beautiful and God is good and to live and walk forward in faith. And you know what? All I'm saying is that public schools aren't essential. Education is essential and now is the time and the opportunity to take advantage, take America back because we've taken the education system back. That's all I gotta say. Thank you for watching. This is Deconstructing the Culture. I am your host, Elisa Steele. Hey there, thanks for joining me. If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe, leave a review. I want to hear your feedback. Go ahead and send me your angry emails or your positive feedback and questions to my email, conservativebabes at gmail.com. Again, if you're on YouTube, please remember to hit the bell um, notification button. And if you are on iTunes, go ahead and leave a five-star review. And Um, some lovely words would be amazing or just post a recipe. I don't really care, but the words help and it makes it more legit in iTunes. So thank you. God bless you.